You're listening to Radio Looks Listen. I'm your host, Steve Matthews. Thanks for joining me for episode 46. The title of today's episode is The War on Domestic Terror. Well, here I am once again finding myself on late on a Saturday night. Well, it's actually early Sunday morning. It's about uh, 24 minutes after 12. It's very early on a Sunday morning doing a uh, doing a podcast. And every week I do this to myself. And I always say, well, you know, I'm going to next week, I'm going to get this done at a decent hour and get to bed at a decent hour and and everything's going to be great. Well, every week, somehow, it seems like I managed to fail to do that. You know, you probably had things like that in your life. You know, you always keep saying, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And and you think it's going to happen. And somehow it doesn't happen. A little computer noise there in the background. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, you, you think that it's going to happen, and, and somehow, for some reason, it doesn't. Now, my excuse this week for not getting this out earlier in the day is I was helping my dad out uh, paint the bathroom. And this is one of these projects that, you know, it, it, it's actually on, on uh, I think this is our third Saturday of doing this. You know how it is when you're you're a weekend warrior and you got a job and you do things through the week. And, and, and you always end up having to spend all your Saturdays on, uh, on on doing projects. And so Saturday is the big day to do projects. So so we spend a good deal of the time doing um, uh, doing the painting. And I, I have to admit, when it comes to, to things in life, that, that doing projects around the house or, you know, that that's not... That's not my thing. Never has been. I mean, you know, Dad. When when I was growing up, I mean, he was was always. Uh, not only was he he didn't merely just do projects. He actually enjoyed doing projects. Um, I, I I I don't know. I, I have a hard time with that. Uh, I've never had the patience uh, to do the uh, to do that kind of work, and I, I tend to get uh, kind of tend to get kind of frustrated with. It. I have a very low threshold of frustration. But, uh, you know, and, and the thing is, Dad's super skilled at it, and I really respect what, what he does. I mean, you know, ever, ever since I was a kid, I mean, you know, he, you know, he's out there, you know, doing plumbing, doing electric, working on the car, pouring concrete, uh, building stuff, you know, building a patio, building furniture, all this kind of thing. You know, he's kind of like, you know, there was that, that TV program, uh, I guess, about 20, 25 years back with Tim Allen, what the Tim the Tool Man, you know, and, and, and he was always building stuff and this. Well, well, that was, that was uh, my dad. And, and long before that show ever came on the air, uh, that was my dad. And uh, my, my brother's got some of that as well. I mean, he seems to be very skillful at that and, and seems to enjoy doing some of it. I, I don't. I mean, I, I have a lot of respect for people who who can do this stuff, but for me, I don't know. I I just I have a very I, I get very easily frustrated with that sort of thing. But uh, you know, Dad Dad's still great at that stuff. Uh, but you know, he's he's uh, he's a little bit older now, and and sometimes he needs a little bit of help. And and so I'm glad I was was able to pitch in and help. I think I still got a little bit of paint here on my my hand now that I see it. I thought I got it all off. Hopefully, I don't have any in my hair. Um, I, I did have some in my hair before. It seems like no matter what I do, whenever I paint, no matter how careful I am, I always manage to somehow get paint in my hair. And, and that's kind of hard to do because I don't have a whole lot of hair. But uh, anyway, be that as it may. So anyway, it's it's because I was having to, to help Dad paint the bathroom that uh, that I'm getting uh, to my, my uh, weekly podcast at almost 1230 on a Sunday morning. <clears throat> anyway, so that's my excuse for the week. And, and hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll probably have another one next week, but I hope I won't. I hope I'm going to get this done earlier, but uh, but we'll see. I'm going to I'm going to keep working on it. 
and I keep working on it. So anyway, um, what I want to talk about this week, I, I titled the the episode here today, the the domestic war on terror, or the war on domestic terror, I should say, the war on domestic terror is the title of the episode. And so why am I talking about that here? Well, one of the things, that, and I, I think that um, it's actually pretty shocking, some of the kind of language that's, uh, that's coming out of people in very high places in our country. And it, it's getting to the point where you, you kind of get a sense that, that our government, that the Biden administration in particular, really sees a, a pretty good chunk of the American people as, uh, as an enemy, almost as a, as a foreign enemy, as, as terrorists. And, uh, you know, I never thought that I would see this kind of language out, uh, out of our government, but uh, it's, it's not just once or twice, and it, it's not from obscure people. It goes uh, right to the very top. Um, as part of Biden's inauguration speech, he was talking about having a, um, uh, essentially uh, declaring war on white supremacists and domestic terrorists and all of this other type of thing. And, and that rhetoric has continued um, right down uh, here over the past uh, couple weeks, and it shows no sign of going away. And, and this is something that, that is, is, a, is going to be a big part of his administration. And I'm not sure that necessarily that a lot of regular Americans have, have woken up to that fact. You know, I, I think there's a tendency to think, well, you know, you know, I'm an American. You know, I'm a I'm a, a, a good person. I, you know, I I go to work. I I love the Lord. I I, I pay my taxes. I, I raise my family. I try to do the things that uh, that a good citizen would, that a, that a Christian would. And and you know, why would anybody consider me to be an enemy? Well, uh, apparently you know, the the Biden administration does, and uh, I hope to be able to to show you. Um, show you that by going through a, a few of the stories here. You know, one of the things that really caught my attention, I was actually watching something on Tucker Carlson this past week, and he uh, he cited there was a piece in the in the New York Times, and this uh, this article in the New York Times it's titled "Are Private Messaging Apps the Next Misinformation Hotspot?" And what they do is they uh the these authors and there's there's two authors this was a piece that came out february 3rd so it was just a few days ago and it was written by uh brian x chen and kevin roos and uh, they talk about the, the you know the the fact that there are 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 dangerous people including far right groups you know they were barred from facebook and twitter and 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 now they're going on to some of these private messaging programs like telegram and signal well, you know, it, it's kind of funny in some ways for them to sit and complain about that because, of course, it's people like Brian Chen and Kevin Roos, probably. Uh, I don't know these two gentlemen, but uh, when in, you read through their their article here in the New York Times, they they, they probably you, you kind of get the sense they probably approve of that. You know, they they want to see all of these these people, these conservatives, these Trump supporters, or what have you, uh, get get kicked off of of Twitter and get kicked off of Facebook. Well, when you kick them off of Twitter and Facebook, those people are going to want to go do something someplace, you know, and now you have a hard time even finding out what they're saying. Now they're complaining about that. Um, you know, I mean, the, the bottom line is, is these people don't want you with an opinion or don't want you expressing an opinion anywhere at any time uh, for any reason. 
you know, they want to shut you up and shut you down. I mean, we're, we're getting into a time where, where dissent, just merely dissenting, just merely disagreeing with the official line, it makes you a, a suspect person in the eyes of the New York Times, in the eyes of the Biden administration, in the eyes of the FBI, or the, uh, in the eyes of, uh, you know, of, of, of the Army. I mean, right now you've got the, uh, I guess what, the Secretary of Defense has uh, stood down the Army, and they're going to spend all this time trying to, to root out uh, extremism. You know, and of course, you know, what is extremism? You know, they, they never quite get around to describing uh, accurately what extremism is. You know, what's a white supremacist? Well, they never really tell us. You know, apparently it's anybody that disagrees with the New York Times. I mean, as I think one of the, <laughs> I think one of the the basic definitions of, of of those words. I mean, if you disagree with the New York Times, if if you don't think the most recent presidential election was the most honest, most awesome presidential election in the whole history of presidential elections, well, you know, you're 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 probably an extremist. You might be a white supremacist. You know, who knows? Uh, you're certainly a suspect person. You know, if if you don't think that the COVID narrative is is awesome, you know, if if you don't think that everybody should be locked into their house for the next ten years and never allowed to go anywhere without four masks on their face, well, you know, you just might be, uh, you know, you just might be a be a white supremacist. I mean, in in the eyes, of, and again, in, in in the eyes of the New York Times or the eyes of the FBI or the Biden administration. Um. You know, if you, you know, any any number of things. It, if if you go against the official uh, the official explanations, you know, you're shut up, you're shut down. It's like a new uh, sort of like a new feudalism, a neo feudalism. I mean, that's the way it was in the in the Middle Ages, you know, with the Roman Catholic Church. And and if you expressed an opinion that the the bishops, the cardinals, or the pope didn't like, you know, well, I mean, you know, you could be on the the receiving end of some very bad business. It was dogma. I mean, that's usually what the uh, sometimes the the word is used for that is dogma. I mean, they're, they're official truths that you have to believe, and if you don't believe them, if you don't um, give the right answer, and if you don't jump when the official power says how high, well, you're in a world of trouble. And more and more, we're getting into that point right now, and it's it's an amazing thing to watch. It's a disturbing thing to watch, but it, it's not a new thing. You know, it's like what Solomon said: "There's nothing new under the sun." Well, I mean, this uh, this uh, urge on the part of, of government officials and the part of people in in uh, high places, whether they're in in uh, social media like Facebook or YouTube, wanting to shut down any kind of dissent, uh, whether they are um, presidents, whether they are secretaries of defense or or other people um you know we're getting into the age of dogma you know where there are certain things that you have to believe and if you don't believe them well you are uh, you're a very bad person and and some very bad things are going to happen to you but uh, these two gentlemen here in the new york times uh, tucker carlson was talking about this particular piece earlier this week. And, and there was, was one paragraph in particular that he read on the air that, that really struck me. I want to share it here with you. This is what, what Tucker Carlson read. And this is a direct quote from, from this New York Times article. He says this, uh, or the authors say this, the shift to private messaging has renewed a debate over whether encryption is a double-edged sword. While the technology prevents people from being spied on, 
might also make it easier for criminals and misinformation spreaders to do harm without getting caught. Now, the the thing, and, and Tucker Carlson pointed this out, and this is the thing that you should really get when you see this. Note how they put criminals and misinformation spreaders right together. So basically criminals and misinformation spreaders are the same thing. So again, what's a misinformation spreader? Well, apparently, I mean, if you, you look around, you look around and you see what's going on, a misinformation spreader is anybody who disagrees with an official explanation. A misinformation spreader apparently is somebody who says, well, you know, the, the last election was fraudulent and that Joe Biden is an illegitimate president. I guess apparently that makes me a misinformation spreader. You know, if the, uh, you know, if somebody says the COVID lockdowns are a fraud, well, I guess that means you're a misinformation spreader. And this goes for tr- even people who are medical doctors. You don't have to take it from me. I'm just some, some, uh, uh, some podcaster sitting here talking at, uh, at uh, 1230 on a, <laughs> on a, uh, on a Saturday, on a Sunday morning, um, you know, I, I don't have any special degree in virology, but I mean, there are people who have studied this type of thing who have spoken out against this. Uh, there are some very good theological Christian reasons not to lock people down. You don't lock down healthy people. That's one of the basic things that you get out of, uh, out of, the, uh, out of the scriptures. You don't quarantine healthy people. I've talked about this before, but this is something that bears, bears mentioning again. You know, if somebody, you know, you, you read through, say, the book of Leviticus, and it talks in there in great detail about diagnosing somebody who has, uh, someone who, or who potentially has leprosy. And there's a very detailed process for going through this. And it's only after that process is complete, only after the person has received due process, is that person quarantined. I mean, there is a case you can make from the Bible that quarantining people with serious diseases is is okay to do, is acceptable to do. But there has to be some kind of procedure. You don't just lock everybody down in hopes that, you know, 15 days to flatten the curve. Well, I mean, they were saying that almost a year ago. That was last March. You know, well, it's February now, so we're coming up on a whole year, and we're still locking down. And, I mean, there was just a thing here... uh, Oh, I guess it was within the last day or so. The Supreme Court ruled that uh, churches in in uh, in California can reopen, but they can ha- they have to reopen at only twenty five percent. So it's really not much of a victory. I mean, the idea that a governor can tell churches you can't meet on the Lord's Day is a violation of the Constitution. It says right in the First Amendment of the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, you know, that you have a right to peaceably assemble. And the the incorporation doctrine, which came along with the 14th Amendment, applies that to the states as well. No governor has a right to, to shut down the churches. People have a right to speak. They have a right to peaceably assemble. And when, when governors prohibit churches from meeting, or when gov- governors limit the ability of churches to, to, to meet, and the Supreme Court really, you know, the ruling isn't really much of a victory. They're saying, oh, well, you can meet, but, but you can only meet at, at 25% capacity. Neither the Constitution nor the Bible authorizes Caesar to have anything to say about when and under what circumstances churches may meet. 
There's nothing there. There's zero support for this. And, and so I, I'm sorry, but I don't cheer this, this latest Supreme court ruling. Um, and, and I, I'm so encouraged, you know, when I, when I read about the stance that, uh, the grace community church has taken, you know, that's, that's the, uh, that's, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> um, MacArthur's church out in, uh, or out near, uh, near LA. And, you know what he's done is is a very brave thing. Now there are some things that I I have criticized uh, John MacArthur for doing. I mean, if you read the Trinity Foundation, if you look at some of the work John Robbins has done, I mean, there are some some criticisms he's leveled at at John MacArthur. But on this particular issue, I think he's been quite good. Um, he stood strong, and I wish I can't tell you. I, I, I wish, 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 wish more Christians would be as bold as what Grace Community Church has been. And, you know, and there are some pastors who have been, there are some ministers who have been, but by and large, most have chosen to go along with uh, the state diktats. Um, and, and I think that that's unfortunate. Um, because if, if we're ever going to get any real pushback on this, if we're ever going to really uh, tell Caesar that Caesar's overstepping his bounds, which he is, it, that, that's going to have to come from Christians. I, I really do think that Christians are going to have to be the ones to take the lead on this. And this is a wonderful opportunity for us to do that. Now, I mean, I've, I've struggled with the, the whole, you know, COVID thing. I mean, where, where I, 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 I cannot bring myself to wear a mask in church on the Lord's day. I just, I can't do it. Um, you know, I, I can't sit there and don a mask uh, and sing Amazing Grace. I just, I can't do it. I, I, I feel like a liar. Um, it, it's something I really struggle with. Now, I know that maybe there are some of my uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe they don't see, don't, don't see it that way. And, you know, I, I think maybe there's some room to, to disagree on this. But... Uh, but that's a big deal, and, and I think that we are making, as Christians, a big mistake when we allow the state, when we allow Caesar, to dictate how we're going to worship. There is no support for that in Scripture. In fact, there's a lot of um, fairly explicit passages that, that refute that whole idea. You know, uh, the, we, we see various things in the Scriptures where... Uh, where governors, uh, magistrates of different sorts attempt to control scripture, you know, whether it's, you know, Nebuchadnezzar telling everybody they have to bow down to his golden image, or whether it's uh, Darius saying, well, you can't worship anybody except, uh, you know, except uh, the, the gods, I guess, what, of the, uh, the Medes and Persians for 30 days. Or you can see it when the Sanhedrin arrested the apostles, what Peter and John, they brought them and they said, you, you know, did we not strictly warn you not to teach any more in the name of Jesus? You know, now you've filled Jerusalem with his, his teaching. You know, and their response was, well, we must obey God rather than men. So, I mean, there are, you know, there are probably other things in Scripture that you can find, other examples of this in Scripture. But those are three that come to mind. And, you know, what we get from that is, you know, that, that Caesar does not have jurisdiction over when the church meets, uh, under what circumstances it meets, uh, the doctrine of the church. There is to be a separation of church and state. 
The separation of church and state is actually a Christian idea. And in the United States, that idea has kind of gotten itself a little bit of a bad name because it's usually pushed by some very liberal people like the, the ACLU that, that really misinterpret that whole idea, that, whole, that, that misapply that idea. But yes, the, the church and the state should be separate. Uh, both church and state governments are legitimate governments. You know, the civil magistrate, the, the civil government is legitimate. It, it's, it's actually created by God. I mean, the Apostle Paul talks about that, right? You know, he says, you know, I, this isn't an exact quote, but he, he, he tells, let every soul be subject to the, the governing authority, for there is no, no authority except from God. You know, he talks about the civil magistrate as God's minister. So, you know, civil government is not, not a, something, it's not man-made. It, it's, uh, it, it, it comes from God. You know, and, and God puts the civil governors there uh, for the purpose of, um, of, of, uh, of maintaining order. You know, one of the, th- what's that, the third use of the law, you know, is, uh, I, or I, I always get those confused. Anyway, John Calvin had the three uses of the law, you know, and one of those was to, uh, uh, to, to have a standard by which uh, people could live, even if they weren't necessarily Christian people, even if they weren't necessarily believers, but to provide a standard to limit the, to limit sin. You know, that's why the civil governor is there, is to, to put a limit on evil doing, because we are, all of us, by our, our nature, uh, corrupt. You know, we talk about the doctrine of total depravity, you know, among the Reformed, right? You know, we Calvinists, you know, total depravity. Well, I mean, you know, one of the, that's one of the reasons why we have civil government is because of the total depravity of mankind. And, and if we didn't have some kind of governing authority, if we didn't have uh, a civil magistrate who, that bears the sword, I mean, you, you, would have, um, you would have chaos, you'd have anarchy, you'd have some very terrible things happening. Uh, so the civil magistrate is God's minister. But the civil, ma- the civil magistrate is limited in what he can do. Anyway, I didn't really need to get off on that whole tangent there. Um, but you know, I guess what I'm, I'm kind of saying here with all of this is the, uh, the government here in the United States, the, the federal government here in the United States, is is grossly overstepping its bounds, and they are taking new uh, initiatives right now to attempt to control thought. Now, of course, the New York Times isn't the government, but what the New York Times is doing is they are expressing an idea that is very much in favor in uh, in the Biden administration. You know, and they they talk about here in that very same sentence, um, criminals and misinformation spreaders. And, you know, the, the Biden administration is apparently ter- terrified, too, of anybody that disagrees with it. I mean, you know, they've got, you know, barbed wire fences all over the Capitol. They've got troops garrisoning in Washington, D.C. You know, I mean, it looks like, uh, you know, like uh, one of these, uh, like, you know, like Baghdad or one of these, these, uh, these military outposts uh, in a foreign country. I mean, and they seem genuinely afraid of the American people. Why are they so afraid of the American people? You know, I, I read something the other day. I mean, uh, about this, and and the author, you know, all spec. I mean, I guess it's just to some degree speculation. But one of the the reasons that that he gave is, well, you know, maybe maybe they're afraid they're 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 afraid their propaganda hasn't hasn't taken hold. Maybe they're afraid, and they seem very much afraid um, of anybody questioning, you know, how Joe Biden became president or uh, or or his policies. I mean, they seem genuinely afraid of the American people. This is not a government that's of, by, or for the people. Um, they don't seem to, uh, 
to to care at all for the American people. I mean, if you look at just the uh, some of the executive orders that Joe Biden has signed, he's destroyed jobs. Um, he's promised to to import about as many migrants, immigrants, and uh, and refugees as possible, with no concern whatsoever to the effect that that's going to have on the American people. Um, I guess in that respect, he seems to be very eager to do his bidding of his uh, uh, probably his uh, his master in the Vatican, and of course talking about uh, Pope Francis. Um, it's really quite remarkable how the the stated policy goals of the Biden administration line up with the Vatican, and of course Joe Biden is our second Roman Catholic president, so it's it's not surprising that there is a a close correspondence there. But anyway, I wanted to kind of get back to this the whole idea of uh, the domestic war or the war on domestic terror. I keep saying that wrong. Um, there's a uh, an article by uh, by Paul Craig Roberts. Uh, the other day, this past week, I thought it was uh, it was quite good. It was uh, dated February second, and the title of of his particular piece here it's called "The Biden Regime Will Be America's First Totalitarian Government." And uh, I'll just read a few paragraphs here. Uh, it is unavoidable. The the prostitutes have white conservative American Trump supporters set up as systemic racist, mega terrorist, enemies of democracy, and white supremacist oppressors. As Biden's staffing reveals, the regime is staffed with people hostile to white Gentiles. The regime's anti-domestic terrorism bill voids the First Amendment by criminalizing dissent from controlled explanations. And he says, I am not the only one who sees this. And, and he goes on to cite um, several different people. Uh, one of them he cites here is, is uh, Tulsi Gabbard. She's uh, retired. Uh, she was a member of Congress from, uh, from Hawaii. And she was a Democrat, and, and this is what she says here, and he, he quotes her here. I'll, I'll just read the quote. He says this, or she says this, This is an issue that all Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians should be extremely concerned about, especially because we don't have to guess about where this goes or how this ends. What characteristics we are looking for is we are building this profile of a potential extremist. What are we talking about? Religious extremists? Are we talking about Christians? Evangelical Christians? What is a religious extremist? Is it somebody who's pro-life? Uh, and this was quoted out of uh, out of the National Review, and and in that National Review article, she uh, I'm not going to read the, the whole quote here, but she she references a um, a quote by uh, John Brennan. Now John Brennan is a former CIA director, and he was also one of the people that was involved in the uh, the plot to uh, apparently to remove Donald Trump as president. And uh, of course, he's he's going to be unindicted. Uh, nothing's going to happen to him because that's the way the uh, the deep state works. But there's a uh, there's a tweet out there. It, it in it I found by a fellow by the name of Tom Elliott, and he he saved a video segment um, of John Brennan being interviewed on MSNBC. And I think this was uh, maybe back on the inauguration day for Biden on the twentieth or somewhere thereabouts. I want to play this for you. It's a bit, about a minute or so, and I want you to listen. To, to what John Brennan has to say. So here we go. 
Well, Nicole, I was thinking today that uh, this is the most relaxed I've been uh, in the course of many inaugurations I've watched because I'm not responsible for it. But I can tell you that when I was in the government, I was I had white knuckles because yeah. of the nature of the threats. But it's so much more difficult today because of what we have seen, not just over the last two weeks, but that certainly has riveted our attention. But because of this growth in polarization in the United States and domestic violence and white supremacist groups. So I know looking forward that the members of the, the Biden team who have been nominated or have been appointed are now moving in laser-like fashion to try to uncover as much as they can about what looks very similar to insurgency movements that we've seen overseas, mm -hmm. where they germinate in different parts of a country and they gain strength and it brings together an unholy alliance frequently. Yeah, well, it seemed to. I don't know what happened there. I lost uh, lost the audio, but but anyway, I think you you can get the uh, get the sense of religious ex religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, uh, racists, nativists, uh, even libertarians. And unfortunately, I think there has been this momentum that has been generated as a result of unfortunately the demagogic rhetoric of people that's just departed government, but also those who continue in the halls of Congress. And so I really do uh, think that the law enforcement, homeland security, intelligence, and even the defense officials are doing everything possible to root out what seems to be a very, very serious and insidious threat to our democracy and our republic. I want to read you um, a little bit of, of how Tom Friedman describes the security. Okay, so that's the end of the segment there. But uh, sorry about the uh, the uh, little technical uh, glitch there. But um, th this is an extraordinary thing. I mean, again, you know, John Brennan is not a uh, an obscure kind of a guy. He was former director of the CIA, and, and he's also uh, very frequently very frequently a guest on on news programs. Uh, and he seems to be especially prominent on places such as uh, MSNBC. I, I don't know if he's on CNN as much or not, but but he's very prominent. I mean, he's he's out there. He puts himself out there. He's he's on TV quite a bit. And and here he is in this particular uh, interview about a minute and a half, and he talks about moving with laser-like fashion, try to uncover as much as they can about, you know, religious extremists, authoritarians, fascists, bigots, racists, nativists. Uh, I, I don't know, I guess a nativist is somebody maybe who questions the the uh, flooding the country with uh, taxpayer-subsidized immigrants, migrants, and refugees. I mean, probably. Uh, and even libertarians, he says. Um, you know, this is, is very disturbing stuff. You know, again, he's trying to make people, you know, maybe who disagree with government policy into be being uh, being domestic terrorists. So, I mean, merely disagreeing with the government. Now, I mean, I I've seen John Brennan in other places. He says, "Oh, well, you ha you have a right to 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 disagree." But I mean, when you you read statements like this, you know, you you really wonder. You know, when you you read stuff in the New York Times by writers who who put the who talk about criminals and misinformation spreaders in the same sentence, well, you really wonder, you know, how much of a uh, of a an ability do I actually have to disagree? Uh, so, you know, I I don't know, you know, but but it's it's very disturbing to even hear this kind of thing, and you know, another guy that or another. Uh, Again, going through uh, Paul Craig Roberts' article, he, he has a link to another article here. And uh, this is uh, a, a commentary by John Whitehead. 
And it's called Enemies of the Deep State. The government's war on domestic terrorism is a trap. And, you know, again, you know, John Whitehead expresses a deep concern, serious concern about some of the language and some of the, the legislation that's being drafted by the government and the way that uh, they appear to be going after and essentially making war on maybe half the American people. And I'm going to put a link. Uh, I'm going to put a link to all these these various articles here in the uh, in the show notes. And uh, the final, uh, interesting. The uh, the final. Let's see if I can get that here. Our thought I had everything nice and organized here, and and, and now that I I find that I don't. But he he's got a uh, a piece in there by uh, a. Uh, gentleman by the name of uh of Glenn Greenwald. Now Glenn Greenwald is uh he's an investigative reporter. And and he's uh I guess you would call him uh I I don't know if he would call himself a progressive or a liberal. I'm not I'm not sure. He's not he's not somebody who uh is a a Republican, you know, he's not uh you know a conservative Christian or or anything like this. I, I don't know exactly what his politics are, but he seems to be be an honest guy. And uh, and here, here's a quote from. Uh, let's see, this is a this is a quote here from Glenn Greenwald. This is what Glenn Greenwald said. He said, "The last two weeks have ushered in a wave of new domestic police powers and rhetoric in the name of fighting terrorism. There are carbon copies of many of the worst excesses of the first war on terror that began nearly 20 years ago. This new war on terror." When it is domestic in name from the start and carries the explicit purpose of fighting extremists and domestic terrorists among American citizens on U.S. soil, presents a whole slew of historically familiar dangers when governments exploiting media-generated fear and dangers arm themselves with the power to control information, debate, opinion, activism, and protests. So... You know that's that that's Glenn Greenwald, and again, he's somebody who is. Uh, I mean, you would probably at least call him a liberal. I, I think that's probably fair to say that. But he gets this; he understands this stuff. Glenn Greenwald has been somebody, and I've, I've followed his work, and and he can do some some very good work. And you know, he he's also concerned about this. So it's you know, there are any number of people who you can can find. You know, from a, a throughout the range of political, uh, throughout the political spectrum, who are looking at some of the things that are being done and saying, hey, this is dangerous. They, uh, there is a, uh, an act, um, a, a bill um, before Congress. It's, uh, let's see, it's HR, blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't have the uh, the actual number on it, but it's called the D- uh, the Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act, the DTPA, and I I read through it. It's about it's seventeen pages, and, and what's really interesting is it's basically a a very thinly veiled declaration of war, specifically on white people. If if you I just did a quick word search, uh, fifteen times it mentions the term white supremacists, and this is on a seventeen-page document. There are four mentions of the term neo-Nazi, but when you search for say Black Lives Matter or Antifa, there's not a single uh, there's not a single uh, mention of this anywhere in uh, in this bill, and and so basically it, it seems to be essentially a declaration of war on say, conservative or 
uh, conservative white people. Now, the thing is, you may say to yourself, well, it's talking about white supremacists, and I'm not a white supremacist, therefore I'm, I'm fine. Well, you have to understand that the definition of white supremacist, you know, that, that's never defined anywhere within this bill. And if, if you, you just kind of read through some of the rhetoric, especially that you've seen over the last year, but even before that, but especially in the last year, basically a white person and a white supremacist are the same thing. You know, if if somebody were to ask me, okay, how would I define a white supremacist? Well, I'd I'd say, well, it's you know, I'd, maybe somebody that belongs to the Klan, or uh, you know, maybe a, a skinhead, or you know, somebody that belongs to some you know neo Confederate group or something like that. You know, maybe those people are white supremacists, and there are people like that. Uh, there are not very many of them, but there are people who are like that. Um, but uh, but that's not the way that that term is employed. In, uh, in today's language, I mean, if you listen to some of these critical race theory types, uh, these people who push critical race theory, all white people are white supremacists. All white people are racists. And, you know, therefore, I mean, this, this kind of a bill could be, you know, used just against white people in general. Uh, or, you know, you're, you're talking about uh, people like, uh, like John Brennan getting on there and talking about the, the you know, that the, there's a laser-like you know, laser focus, you know, on, on people who are religious extremists. Well, what's a religious extremist? I don't know. You know, Tulsi Gabbard raised that question. Tucker Carlson has raised that question. Okay, you know, so what's an extremist? Well, you know, an extremist appears to be anybody who disagrees with the official controlled explanations. And, and that's that is is the world that that we are living in, you know. And I, I actually I talked to to a friend of mine about it this week, and you know, and he said, well, you know, we we don't know that you know what what's going to happen, and, and of course he's right about that. We we don't know what's going to happen, and, and certainly as Christians we can pray that this type of legislation doesn't go anywhere. You know, I, and, and maybe it won't. I mean, maybe this stuff will all fall apart. You know, who, who knows what's going to happen. Okay, but I think it's important that we at least be aware of it. We need to at least be aware of it. Here's one other uh, brief item that I wanted to share with you, and this is also a uh, uh, this is a uh, a short video. It's about a minute long, and it's a, it's an interview. And again, this is from MSNBC. <laughs> they, they seem to be the usual suspects for these kinds of videos, but it's a. Uh, it's uh, an interview that's being hosted by Nicole Wallace. And uh, essentially, she, she almost implies that, you know, that uh, maybe it, it, it'd be an okay thing if, you know, if, uh, you know, if conservatives and Trump supporters, you know, were on the receiving end of a drone strike. Now, she doesn't come out and say it explicitly. But if you listen to her rhetoric, it, it, she kind of insinuates it. She kind of, she actually does, I, I think, imply that. Um, so let me play this and, and uh, let's see what you think here. Here we go. And again, as I was saying so, John Hammond, that is a bulletin released to all law enforcement earlier this week that there is until the end of April a persistent threat of domestic extremism, domestic uh, terrorism carried out in the ideology and around this belief that the election um, was fraudulent, that the COVID restrictions are unnecessary. All of those ideologies pushed by Donald Trump. But, but my question for you is around incitement. Um, we had a policy, and it was very controversial. It was carried out under the Bush years and under the Obama years of 
attacking terrorism at its root, of going after and killing, um, and in the case of Amr al-Awlaki, an American, a Yemeni American, with a drone strike for the crime of inciting violence, inciting terrorism. Mitch McConnell was in the Senate then. He was in the Senate after 9-11, too. How does Mitch McConnell, who understands that the way you root out terrorism is to take on, in the case of Islamic terrorism, kill those who incite it, how does he not vote to convict someone that he said on the floor of the Senate incited an insurrection? Now, you know, in, in fairness, I think to, to Nicole Wallace, you know, maybe, you know, she, she reaches the conclusion, okay, well, if Mitch McConnell thought droning some guy over in, uh, some American citizen over in the Middle East was okay because he was inciting terrorism, you know, how can he be against convicting Donald Trump, who also incited apparently terrorism, um, at least in her mind? You know, and she talks a little bit about those drone that that drone strike or that that program of of uh, going after terrorism as a route, and you know, and, and that it was was controversial. She says some things like that, so she's, you know, she could probably come back and say, well, I'm, you know, I'm not really saying that I I think that that conservatives and Trump supporters or you know evangelical Christians should be should be drone striked if they they happen to to disagree with the regime, but you know. She kind of insinuates. I mean, that idea is right there below the surface in what she says. And it's not that far below the surface. You know, and, you know, maybe maybe you could defend what she says and said, well, you know, she, she just misspoke and that's not really what her intention was. But, you know, I, I don't know if you can strictly say that she implied that that's, that that's uh, an okay thing. But I am very uncomfortable when I hear that kind of rhetoric. It makes me very uncomfortable. And when you, you see it not just from her, you're, you're seeing it from, from, I said, John Brennan. You see it in, in the New York Times where they're linking you know, the uh, criminals and misinformation spreaders together. You see this, and, and you see how these people put uh, um, terrorists and, and people who disagree with them very close to together, almost side by side, almost the same thing. Yeah, this is this is very disturbing to see this. And again, you don't even have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a a Republican to look at this and say this is pretty scary. I mean, you've got people who you know, uh, you've got Tulsi Gabbard, you've got Glenn Greenwald. I mean, I don't think either one of them are are Christians, and they're not Republicans. Uh, but they they can look at this and say, you know, this is very dangerous stuff. So what are Christians to do now? You know, I, I know I sit here and I talk about the the war on domestic terror. You know, and oh boy, that's a what a fun topic to listen to on a on a on a you know Friday night Sunday or Saturday night early Sunday morning. Yeah, hey, boy, that's a that's an uplifting topic. Um, I, I don't I don't talk about these things to try to scare you. That that's that that's not my intention. Why do I do this podcast? Why do I write my blog the way I do? Well, I do it principally, I do it to glorify God, and I also do it to, to edify his people. That's, that's my prayer, you know, when I, when I sit down to write, when I sit down to, to podcast, is I ask that the Lord would give me good, you know, to give me wisdom, to give me, me knowledge, to give me understanding, uh, and to be able to share that with people. That, that's what I love to do. And in particular, you know, I think the Lord's people, that Christians deserve to know the truth 
and to know what's going on. And, and I feel like a lot of times, maybe as Christians, we don't pay as much attention to some of these things as what we ought to. Yeah, and I've, there, there are a couple of verses in Scripture I wanted to share here with you because I, I've used them before as kind of a recurring theme in, in some of my work, especially about preparedness. But I, I, I want to just I want to quote these to you again because I think they are so. Um, I, I think they really do have application to the, the the period of time we're going through right now. Uh, one of these is, is Proverbs twenty two three. It says, "A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself." But the simple pass on and are punished. And the second passage is, well, it's Proverbs 27, 12. And it says it has almost the identical wording. Uh, I'll read that to you. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. So notice in both of these cases, it talks about a prudent man. And that prudent man does two things. He foresees and he hides himself. So he foresees evil coming, and he hides himself. Foresees and hides. You know, those are the two, the two verbs there. Prudent man foresees, and he hides. Uh, and, you know, the first thing we need to do if we're going to be prudent men, and, and we should be prudent. I mean, the, you know, the Bible you know, commends people who use, use prudence. I, I've talked uh, also uh, several times, there's a couple of parables that, that Jesus talks about. We, he talks about a... Uh, you know, a man, he says, you know, what man who, you know, wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and decide, you know, does he have enough money uh, to build that tower? You know, lest he get part of the way through and have to quit and then people mock him and say, ah, hey, look, he started and he, he, he didn't finish. You know, I've, I've used, uh, there was an example of uh, of that, I, I remember back during the financial crisis. This is back in 2008. There was a a, a kind of a combined office retail center that was being built, sort of in a, a one of the high priced ends of town here in Cincinnati. It was over in Kenwood, and it was right by the highway. And they really started building this thing, and they got part of the way through it. And then the financial crisis hit, and I, and I, I don't know all of the the ins and outs. But I don't know whether the the uh, contractor went bankrupt or the people that were building it went bankrupt or, or what the deal was, but somebody either had went bankrupt or had major financial problems. They had to quit. And this, so this, this partially finished building was sitting there here in this kind of um, uh, ritzy part of town. And it was right by the highway. And, and, and you know, it was partially built and had steel girders that were just kind of sitting out there in the open. And, and I, I figured that that probably had to just drive the, uh, the city fathers nuts <laughs> watching this thing sit there for for several years and it was maybe i don't know three four five years they eventually finally got around to finishing the thing but it was just partially finished building you know and it it, it looked looked pretty bad it, it didn't wasn't a good look wasn't a good look for anybody you know especially i guess if you're you're uh, you're in kenwood wasn't a great look for them and so i mean yeah it's important to be able to to, to finish what you start and 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 jesus commends this this individual this this prudent man that sits down and you know decides okay i want to do this project do i have the money do i have the means to to complete it and and he commends that in people and he talks gives another parable very similar to that where he talks about you know what king you know for, who is uh thinking about going out to battle doesn't first sit down and decide whether he can meet his opponent's army with 20,000 with his 10,000, you know, and if he says, well, you know, I, I don't think that I can win the fight, you know, he sues for peace rather than go out and, and maybe lose everything. Maybe he'll, he, he won't uh, necessarily have everything that he wants, but he'll, he'll still be able to retain his power. You know, if he's prudent, if he sits down and, and makes some wise decisions. 
And so again, Jesus commends these people. And, and here we have in Proverbs, it commends the prudent man. The prudent man foresees. But he doesn't just foresee. So, I mean, we, we have to be wise. We have to be, be, have knowledge. We have to be able to apply that knowledge. Um, you know, wisdom is applied knowledge, okay? I mean, we can sit and we can read the Bible and we can understand what the Bible says about economics and about politics. But we have to be able to apply it to, to our lives. We have to be able to apply it to the situations that we see around us. Um, so we, we foresee. But then we have to also take action, you know, because you, you notice here the prudent man hides himself. Now, there probably are times maybe, you know, I can think of some examples in my own life, you know, where I, I looked and said, yeah, you know, I, I think this could possibly be a problem. Maybe I should do X, Y, or Z. And then for whatever reason, I don't do it. You know, I forget about it, I get busy. I think, ah, you know, that, that's, that's probably really never going to happen. And then what happens? Well, the very thing that I foresaw and, and then I find that I'm, that I'm not prepared for it. <laughs> We can probably all think of examples like that, right? You know, and and so it's not enough just to foresee. It's not enough just to be able to look and say, you know, this is kind of getting to be a little bit dangerous. We also have to take take action. You know, so prudent man foresees, but he doesn't just only foresee. He also hides himself, so he takes effective action. And and it contrasts the prudent man here too with uh, with the simple. You know, the, the simple they they look at stuff and either they 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 don't notice it at all, or maybe they notice it and they just discount and say, yeah, everything's gonna be fine. Well, listen to the rhetoric that's coming out of of the Biden administration and coming out of Joe Biden himself, coming out of of people who are uh, in his administration, people who are. Uh, associated, you know, with his administration one way or supporters of his administration, like John Brennan, uh, people in the press, you know, such as these two uh, authors in the New York Times, um, you know, they are lending credence. And, and it's more than just that. I mean, there, there's a, many more examples I could go out and find. I, I, but I think just the ones that I cited, I think should be at least sufficient to give you an idea of the intellectual tenor uh, that's out there. And, you know, there, there was that book... You know, written many years ago, it was called "Ideas Have Consequences." You know, because ideas tend to, uh, you know, at at some point or another, filter down in into affect our actions. And uh, John Robbins wrote about that. I, I think what did he say that not not only do ideas have consequences, but only ideas have consequences. I I, I think I'm remembering that correctly. And. One of the things when you, you read through Gordon Clark or you read through John Robbins is they talk about the, the, the primacy of the ideas, the primacy of the intellect. Because everything that you and I do, it's all based on some prior ideas, some prior theory. So, I mean, ideas rule the world. You know, that saying, the pen is mightier than the sword, that's really true. I mean, it maybe seems counterintuitive, but but that really is true because it's the ideas that are are written down by the pen that that move armies, that move nations. And when you listen to the ideas that are coming out of the Biden administration itself, or people associated with the Biden administration, or people who support what Biden is doing, you look at that and you realize this is some really dangerous stuff. You know, in, in you and I as Christians, you know, we need to be able to to hide ourselves. Now, that can mean different things to different people. I'm not going to try to get into to talking about all of this. But when you hear this kind of rhetoric, when you hear these kinds of things, you know, we have to be wise in in the way that we act. 
another thing we're not supposed to do, one of the things we, we shouldn't, should do, we, we, we foresee and we hide ourselves, something we shouldn't do is to fear. You think of how many times you know, Jesus talked to his disciples, fear not. You know, somebody, there's a, a YouTuber I listen to, and he, he does a Friday news wrap every Friday. And, and he always was closes his video with this, and he talks about um, the, you know, the, great, uh, the great Commission, you know, where Jesus says, all authority on, in heaven and on earth, you know, or all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He quotes this uh, quite often, well, always at the end of his, his broadcast. And so you know, Jesus has all authority. This stuff that's going on with Joe Biden whether you know whether it's a a rigged election whether it's a a corrupt administration you know all of this stuff none of it's happening you know apart not only is 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 god uh perfectly aware of it he's brought this about now we can talk for different reasons about why he brings these sorts of things about you know augustine i know i've talked about this but it's it's probably worth mentioning this again you know augustine you know, you think about Aurelius Augustine, okay, this is the, I'm talking about the, the church father, Augustine here. You know, he lived at the time when, when Rome was sacked in, in AD 410. You know, and people kept asking him, well, well, how come Christians are suffering through this? I mean, if your God's so great, how come Christians are, are suffering uh, right along with everybody else? And, and one of the answers, you know, he gave is, you know, well, you know, maybe Christians are, you know, get too comfortable and they become too, too afraid to maybe rebuke people and, you know, hold people accountable and speak the gospel and, and, and to, to speak the, the law and, and to apply it to public officials or to apply it to people in their lives because, well, you know, uh, by golly, I've got, a, I've got a pretty comfortable life here and I don't want to rock the boat. You know, and, 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 and so God has a way of, uh, uh, of, of chastising his people. He does this. I mean, of course, you know, Hebrews talks about that, right? It says, you know, in, in, uh, no, uh, no chastisement is pleasant, you know, while you're going through it. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but I, I think I, that's a, a reasonable paraphrase there. You know, the, the chastisement is, is not pleasant. But he says, you know, if, if you don't have chastisement, uh, you're not sons. You know, you're illegitimate children. And, and not only that, but that chastisement yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So, you know, what, you know, as Christians, when we go through difficult times like this, and, and I have to tell you, I, I, I think the Biden, you know, the Joe Biden presidency is going to be a disaster for the United States. This is not a good thing. But you and I, we're going to go through this thing together. And by God's grace, not only are we going to get through it, but I think we, we have a great opportunity to do some good work. But we have to trust in Christ. And in trusting in him, we can have the boldness to face a world that is hostile to us. You know, one of my favorite verses in Scripture, it's, it's, uh, it's 1 Corinthians 16, 13. And I really love the, the King James translation, especially of this. And let, me, let me read this here. It, just, it says, Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. I, I love that part about quit you like men. And that's a really good translation, too, by the way, uh, of the Greek. The, uh, the Greek verb that, that underlies quit you like men is, uh, is andridzomai. I mean, it literally means to act like a man, you know, to be a man. I mean, you know, we say that in today's world, man up, you know, this kind of thing. Well, I mean, that's literally what the Greek says there. Uh, quit you like men. And, uh, and, and that's what we need to learn how to do. 
Um, you know, we're, we're facing some difficult times, but, you know, as, as Christians, you know, we know we have the right man on our side, right? The man of God's own choosing, just like what Martin Luther said. So, you know, Christians have, have survived in all kinds of very difficult times. You know, you think of the Great Commission, you know, Jesus said, you know, uh, all authority has been given to me on heaven, on earth. And, you know, his next word was go, therefore. You know, he's telling his disciples, you know, go, therefore, and, you know, teach, you know, all that, you know, teach my doctrines, you know, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, etc. Well, what was he sending them out to? He was sending them out to the Roman Empire. Uh, which was a very hostile environment. I mean, the you know, the you know the Roman Empire did not like Christians, and Christians suffered. Sometimes Christians suffered death. Uh, you know, the the author of Hebrews talks about uh, um, some of the uh, the Christians that he was writing to, and he said, "You gladly endured the plundering of your goods." So, I mean, some of the, his 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 readers, you know, had, had suffered because of Christ. You know, they'd suffered because of their faith in Christ, so they knew about this type of thing. And, you know, Lord willing, you know, I, I'm not saying that we want to go out and, and uh, find ourselves in all kinds of suffering, but it's possible it could come our way. You know, and, and we have to be ready for these things. And we also have to be, be wise in the way that we conduct ourselves. And uh, that, that's really my prayer uh, for you as Christians, that, that you would be, you know, for, for my brothers and sisters, especially who are, who are in, in Christ, who are watching this, you know, that we be prudent, that we... Uh, see trouble that we we to the degree that it depends on us to uh, to hide ourselves to to avoid putting ourselves in dangerous and in foolish situations to be bold to speak the gospel to act like men uh, this is this is what we need to be doing so anyway that's uh, that's about all I had for this week I just wanted to say thank you so much for uh, for watching uh, for those of you who uh, are also uh, watching live on uh, on uh, D Live, uh, I'm on D Live and also on Periscope uh, and on Twitter. So, so thanks so much for uh, spending some time with me here uh, early on a Sunday morning. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be back to uh, to talk again next week. And until that time, may the the Spirit of Truth guide you in all truth as you read and study God's Word. Good night, everybody. <laughs>